There's a TV show that came out a few years ago called The Good Place. I don't know if any of you have seen that. It's a sitcom that explores popular ideas about what the afterlife will be like. Throughout the first season, the characters are really excited to have made it to the good place. It's as if every day is perfect. They have frozen yogurt every day. They've all found their soulmates. They can even take flying lessons. Incredible, right? <laughs> Except slowly, things start to go wrong. Things are not quite as perfect as they seem. And in the last scene of the first season, there's a huge plot twist. Now, if you're planning on watching this show and you don't want to know, cover your ears. <laughs> Eleanor, the main character, is reflecting on all these different things that have gone wrong, and suddenly it hits her, and she says, we're in the bad place. The other characters are shocked by this realization. I remember when I was watching this show, when it got to that point, I was shocked. We all thought they were in the good place. Now when I rewatch that first season, I can see all these hints of how they're actually in the bad place. But when you're watching it for the first time, you're set up to believe that they're in the good place that whole time. I think we can all be a little like this when it comes to thinking about good and evil. Our culture of comfort and privilege sets us up to believe that we're in something of a good place, that we can have the good life right now. And the more comforts and privileges we have, the easier it is to not notice the evil around us and in the world. Or we can be like the people who know the big plot twist. We see evil everywhere. Nothing is good. There is no hope. We might even become weary of trying to do good in the world because what's the point? We're in the bad place. But our faith teaches us that we can't have either of these positions. We must both be aware and alert to the reality of evil in the world and we can have hope that there is deliverance from evil. And this is what Jesus teaches us to pray in this last line of the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. So we're going to look at this passage that we heard read from 2 Corinthians because I hope to draw our attention to three things that can help us understand this line of the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. So we'll start by looking at this text in 2 Corinthians and then we'll finish by coming back to the Lord's Prayer. And I hope it will help us to make some sense of the reality of evil in the world and the hope we can still have in the midst of it. So let's look at 2 Corinthians. First, the God of deliverance comes alongside us. The first verse that we heard read, verse 3, says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort. Paul begins this second letter to the Corinthians with a doxology of praise to the God of all comfort. He says the word comfort ten times in just these verses of our text today. When we hear the word comfort, we might think of giving a child a hug and reassuring them after they fall and skin their knee. You're okay, you're okay. You might think of your comforter, the cozy blanket that is on your bed that you were just snuggled in this morning. A warm, safe dwelling place. Maybe you think about comfort food, the food you turn to when you're sad or upset. 
these images and others that pop into our head start to help us to understand what Paul is saying here, what it means that God is the God of all comfort. God does offer us an embrace and reassuring words when we fall. You're okay, you're okay. God is a warm, safe dwelling place. God is what we can turn to when we're sad and upset. But this word means even more than that. The root word in Greek is parakletos. Maybe you've heard the Holy Spirit be referred to as the paraclete before. This word is the word that Jesus uses in John 14 to describe the Holy Spirit, the one he promises will come and be our comforter. This is the word that was used in the New Testament times for a lawyer or a legal advocate. It literally means to be called alongside. You might think of God delivering the Hebrew people out of Egypt and leading them through the wilderness. God was the one who liberated them and he was alongside the people on the journey as a cloud by day and fire by night. Throughout scripture, we see God acting as a comforter. Judith Deal, she writes that in scripture, comfort is an action referring to tangible interventions usually performed by God. It is not just a kind thought. Comfort is concrete support through an affliction. And Paul reminds us here that God is the comforter, the God of all comfort. God advocates for us. God tangibly intervenes for us. God comes alongside us in all our troubles. As Paul continues on in this section, we're reminded that this does not mean we will never have suffering or distress or experience the effects of evil. But what it does mean is that we are not left on our own. Hope is not lost in the midst of evil. The God of all comfort is with us. Second, the God of deliverance gives us each other. After Paul tells us that God comforts us, he explains in the next few verses how God comforts us so that we can comfort others. He continues on in verse 4 after saying that God is the God of all comfort. He says, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Do you hear how that works? Paul says we also have each other to offer comfort and to share in each other's suffering. I hope you already know this feeling of being comforted by a loved one or a friend in the midst of a hard season. Maybe you can think of a time when you were able to offer comfort to someone in their suffering or distress. Knowing this church community, I know you all do that so well already. But remember what this word means. This word for comfort is not only the reassuring, you're okay, you're okay. It means to advocate for, to tangibly intervene, to come alongside. Just as God advocates for us, we are able and called to advocate for others. We offer comfort and help to others in their trouble. I think we already know and experience what this is like when someone is suffering or in distress. We provide meal trains, we pray and send cards, we show up and offer support. Maybe you donate to a GoFundMe page for someone. We can think of all kinds of ways that we comfort people in their suffering and their hard times. 
But I want to suggest that our call to comfort others, our call to advocate for, to tangibly intervene, to come alongside, also includes comforting others in the face of evil. The God of deliverance has given us each other to offer comfort, tangible intervention and advocacy to help those who experience the unthinkable effects of evil in the world. As we bear their burdens alongside them and offer comfort, we join God's work of deliverance. And we do not need to grow weary of doing good, of seeking to offer comfort, because Paul tells us that God is not only comforting us and alongside us in the midst of evil, but God has indeed delivered us. So finally, the God of deliverance is the God who raises the dead. Paul concludes this section in 2 Corinthians with a practical example of how God comforted him in his suffering. He says he faced trouble in the province of Asia. Asia in this time is what we have as modern-day Turkey, so most scholars think that Paul is talking about his time in Ephesus, And Paul writes to them, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Paul describes his troubles as a near-death, seemingly hopeless situation. Yet Paul says, in the midst of describing that situation, three times how God has delivered him. Paul says he put his hope and trust in God. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us, Paul says. He relies not on himself, but on God who raises the dead. And this is a critical point, because this is ultimately how we are delivered from evil. We are delivered from evil through the death and resurrection of Jesus. We are freed from the bondage of sin and death. The systems of sin and death no longer have a hold on us. We are alive in Christ now and will one day be raised with Christ. Paul says God has delivered us, God will deliver us, and God will continue delivering us now. Paul can have hope in seemingly hopeless situations because he put his trust in the God of deliverance. So now we come back to the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us to... Pray, deliver us from evil. Paul's description of deliverance can help us have a fuller picture of what it is that we're praying for when we say these words. But what does it mean to be delivered from evil? We already had this great illustration of getting your hands stuck in a jar. Paul talks about suffering in times of trouble, in times of distress, feeling like a near-death experience. I want to be clear that suffering and evil are not the same thing. There is suffering in this life that we cannot understand. 
We are promised the presence of God in the midst of that, though. The God who comforts us has delivered us and will deliver us from that suffering. But Jesus also tells us to pray to be delivered from evil. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5.8, to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, waiting for someone to devour. We know the plot twist. There is evil and there is an evil one who is at work in the world, and this also causes suffering. We live in a time and a culture that is not used to talking about the spiritual world like this, of the evil one being at work in the world. We also live in a culture that affords us the privilege of closing our eyes to the evil happening around us. We talked about this a little in Faith Academy this morning, about how we can be so removed from evils happening in the world that we don't even notice it. But if we acknowledge the plot twist and look again, we can see the results of evil everywhere. Evil is in the hearts of those who choose violence over peace, those who benefit from the exploitation of others, who stoke the flames of fear instead of welcome and love, those who sow hate and hostility. And evil is not just in the hearts of individual people, because when those individuals have any sort of power, that evil becomes a system. For those of you who are in Faith Academy, a few weeks ago, Amanda Franklin talked about systemic sin, sin that becomes institutionalized, like slavery, child labor, exploitive economic systems, unjust legal systems. Or if you've been part of the last few film nights, we've talked about the systemic displacement and unjust treatment of native peoples in our country. We have a history of and still see the evil actions, attitudes, and systems in the world. This is how the evil one is at work, prowling around like a lion. And this is not to point fingers at the world and calling it evil. In her beautiful, profound book, This Here Flesh, Cole Arthur Riley writes, for those whose ancestors bore great evil into the world, which very well maybe all of us, the curse is only passed as you participate in it. It is your responsibility to know and own the stories that have made us in such a way that we forsake the curse. We have work to do to undo the systems of evil that we are a part of. To take responsibility means we must examine our own hearts and recognize the systems we participate in and benefit from that are evil. Evil causes us to suffer. It causes others to suffer. It causes the world to suffer. And we need to be delivered from it. This is what we are praying for. God, deliver us from evil. Deliver us from the suffering that evil causes. Deliver us from having evil intentions in our hearts. Deliver us from participating in evil systems. In our 2 Corinthians text today, Paul reminds us that God will and has delivered us. The God of deliverance comes alongside us. God is our comforter who advocates, who tangibly intervenes to deliver us and walk alongside us. Like the psalmist writes in Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, 
I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The God of deliverance gives us each other. We are delivered from evil as we advocate for the end of evil effects on others and in the world. We join God's work of deliverance and comfort as we advocate for and tangibly intervene to end the evil of racism, exploitation, oppression, violence, and other injustices. And finally, the God of deliverance is the God who raises the dead. Paul tells us we can put our hope in the God who raises the dead. In Jesus Christ's death and resurrection, God has decisively defeated and delivered us from evil. Our God has delivered us, will deliver us, and is delivering us right now. And so we can still have hope in the midst of evil because our God is the God of comfort, the God who gives us each other, the God who raises the dead the God who will one day make all things right and all things new. I'm going to end with a prayer of the church that dates back to the first century. It often accompanies the Lord's Prayer, and I think it summarizes well our hope when we're praying this line, deliver us from evil. So let's pray. Deliver us, Lord, from every evil and grant us peace in our day. And your mercy keep us free from sin and protect us from all anxiety as we wait in joyful hope for the coming of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.